Our scripture passage today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll be reading verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, spring is here. Again, thanks be to God, right? There are several things that are announcing this most welcomed time of year. The warmer weather, the crack of baseball bats, the the chirping of the birds, the purr of the lawnmowers, the coughing, the sneezing, the sniffling of spring allergies. God bless you. But one of the clearest declarations of spring's long-awaited arrival is the multitude snatching up soil and seed and flowers and trees from local stores and nurseries, all with the grand hopes that this year will be the best one ever. The flowers will bloom, the vegetables will grow, the deer will eat someone else's hard work. Well, I'm now one of those multitudes. As I've shared in previous sermons, I built my first garden this last year when the COVID travel ban took place, and I was home for the first summer in a really long time. And the harvest was plentiful and delicious. I lost only a few tomatoes to the neighborhood deer, and I really learned a lot, but there's so much more to to learn. In the Facebook gardening groups that I'm a part of and the articles that I've read, there's one repeated word of advice. Healthy soil is the lifeblood of your garden. Plants know what they like, rich, dark, organic, living soil. And you can buy the highest quality seeds, you can water regularly, you can do everything correctly above ground, but if your soil isn't healthy, it will impact your growth. And if your garden or yard isn't growing like you hope, the very first place to look is often your soil. The good news is this. Even the poorest soils can be improved to foster growth and health. It takes work, it takes time, it takes patience and persistence, which is often when we give up. But it is possible to change the health of our soil so something beautiful can bloom. The same is true for our relationships. Relationships are a vital and beautiful part of our lives. And we all know the joys and the sorrows of relationships. We've experienced the beauty of life-giving relationships and the pain of life-draining relationships. And we've savored the gift of relationships when they're whole and the ache when they are broken. American novelist Joyce Manier once said, When people ask what I write about, I tell them the drama of human relationships. I'm not even close to running out of material. The drama of human relationships is a tale as old as time, and it is the motivation behind our text today. These verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 are a major part of what is known as the love chapter. And I've shared these verses at more than one wedding as an encouragement and a caution to new brides and grooms about the hard work ahead in order for them to build a healthy marriage. 
But you see, the author never intended this to be prose for weddings. We're actually reading someone else's mail when we read 1 Corinthians. And mail the recipients most likely wished had stayed hidden in someone's sock drawer. I mean, let's say you and your siblings are fighting and not getting along and not making great choices. And someone decides to rat you out to your grandma who lives in another town. And so she writes a letter to you setting you straight. Now, most of us would not want that letter canonized and read by millions, but yet here we are reading Grandma's letter, or in this case, the Apostle Paul's letter. Paul is writing a very young, inexperienced church that he helped plant about five years earlier from this letter. And the plant is in the city of Corinth, which is a busy and diverse port city in what is modern-day Greece. Now, the church in Corinth was a really small community of Gentile believers, which just means that they didn't have a background of religious backgrounds or practices. And so living as the people of God was brand new to them. And changing how you live and how you think after a long time, and especially in a world that acts and thinks differently, isn't easy. And it just doesn't happen overnight. I mean, change is messy, and it's awkward, and it takes time. I mean, I'm still writing 2020 on forms and checks, and we're a good five months into the brand new year. Now, Paul stayed with this church in Corinth about 18 months after planning the church, working to build a healthy soil so that the the new church and the faith could blossom and grow. But then Paul left to go start another church, which is something he did on multiple occasions. But after the three and a half years had passed since he started that church and left, the soil at Corinth had gone bad. There was fighting and confusion and disagreements within the church over how to live out your faith. And in all the tension of their differences and trying to learn the core value of God's love, Paul wrote these words about love. And this love isn't romantic love or passionate love. It isn't a love of emotions or conditions or circumstances. This love is a love of choice. It is agape love, or love that determines it will seek the highest good for others, even our enemies. It's a love taught to us by Jesus. And since this type of love is not natural in the world of Corinth, nor in our world, Paul defines it by describing it. He shows us what agape love is by showing how agape love acts. Pastor Scott Sauls describes it this way. Paul paints a vivid picture of love, that stunning, ever-inspiring catalog of attributes. Patience, kindness, humility, generosity of spirit, preferring others, a peaceful demeanor, love for truth, Readiness to bear and believe and hope and endure all things. Paul didn't have weddings in mind when he wrote this. This is actually one of the sharpest rebukes in the Bible because the attributes of love described everything that the Corinthians were not. When the Corinthians gathered in a room and heard this part of Paul's letter read aloud, they were most likely some hanging heads and some shuffling of feet. When Paul described what love is and is not, most of the words parallel closely with the behaviors in the church that were reported to him. And if you read other parts of his letter, you'll find Paul discussing moments where they had been envious or boastful, 
arrogant or shaming. Moments where the Corinthians had insisted on their own way and had rejoiced in wrongdoing. Now, the Corinthians may have been difficult, but they weren't slow. They would have clearly put two and two together about what Paul was saying and implying in a not-so-subtle way that everything about their behavior in Corinth contradicts the character of love. Paul wanted them to understand that the church was not cultivating what it was meant to cultivate because the soil had become unhealthy from a lack of love. And until they fixed the soil, good things would always struggle to bloom. Now, at our homes, when our garden or yard isn't necessarily growing things well, we can do soil testing by purchasing a kid or hiring a professional. And a soil test can determine if the current fruitfulness of the soil and the health of our soil by measuring both the acidity level and identifying nutrient deficiencies. This helps you know what you may need to add or take away from your soil in order to create something healthy. Well, perhaps we might consider this passage in 1 Corinthians somewhat of a soil test to help us determine the deficiencies of love in us. Not to burden us with guilt for those weaknesses, but rather to draw us deeper into dependence on God's transformative work in us. Author Dallas Willard remarks on this passage saying, The text doesn't say, I do all these wonderful things. It says, love does. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is in fact a proposition or a proposal. If you will receive love into your life, over time, out will come the things 1 Corinthians 13 says are true of love. If the soil of our hearts is rich in God's love, then agape love for others will bloom. God's love is the organic material that our hearts need and crave. So here are some soil test questions for us to consider regarding our relationships. Do I treat my spouse with kindness, seeking his or her higher good? Am I patient with my children? Am I slow to judge and quick to listen with people I disagree with? Am I envious of others and their lives, resenting what they have? Do I feel secret gratitude when others fail or struggle? Do I insist things are done my way, and if they aren't, sabotage the efforts or take my toys and go home? Am I known for losing my cool or being easily irritated? Am I a safe place for others? Do I trust God, look for the best, and stay the course with hope? The answers to these questions tell us the health of our soil and if we're deficient in love. Only Jesus perfectly mastered and exemplified agape love. We can't. We are, however, called as followers of Christ to aspire to this type of love, the agape love. But not through our own effort, but from the overflow of God's love in us and for us. Even the poorest soils can be improved to foster growth and health. It takes work. It takes time. But it's possible to change the health of the soil of our hearts and our relationships so that something beautiful can bloom. 
Author Emily Barnes wrote, growth takes time. Be patient, and while you're waiting, pull a weed. One small action toward healthy soil. In his book, Be You, Do Good, Jonathan Golden tells the story of two Rwandans cultivating something new from blood and tear-stained soil. Seraphine and Onesfor grew up in the same village in Rwanda. They worked together, growing food, tending to coffee trees, raising children, and going to church together. And then something changed in the spring of 1994 when lies and vicious propaganda and conspiracy theories turned the Hutu people against their Tutsi neighbors. And at the end of that 100-day genocide, an estimated nearly one million Tutsi and moderate Hutu Rwandans were murdered. And the once fertile soil of Rwanda was tainted with blood and hate. At the end of that genocide, neighbors had slaughtered neighbors and once four had murdered Seraphine's husband and father. After the attack, Seraphine had hid in the stables day after day surviving off grass like the cows once housed there. And eventually the genocide ended, but her grief did not. She said, I had no man in my life, no one to love and be loved by. My father was gone, my husband was gone, and all the work on the farm was left to me. Eventually, perpetrators like Wunsfor were imprisoned. But then the government suggested they be released to return to the villages to help care for the women who remained after so many men were murdered. Seraphine was asked, could you begin to forgive? Could you receive Onesfor again? During his time in prison, Onesfor discovered forgiveness through Jesus Christ, but he did not expect forgiveness from Seraphine. When he was released and on his return to the village, he wondered if he would be beaten and killed for what he had done. And head hung low as he approached the village, he heard what sounded like singing. Perhaps he thought it was shouts of revenge from those about to kill him. But the singing and the shouting was not about revenge. The closer he got, the louder the sound became. And eventually, he recognized it not as shouts of revenge, but songs to a God that sustains and heals and forgives. Sitting in a circle among the other villagers, once four confessed to murdering several people who had been known and loved in the village, detailing what he'd done. Once four could barely look Seraphine in the eyes, but when he did, he said he did not see hatred. Instead, he saw light. He saw that she was able to forgive him. Since then, Onesfor is working on forgiving himself. And what helps him, he says, is helping her in any way that he can. He shared, 
If she needs her crops harvested or there's a hole in her roof, I like to help. I do for her what her husband and father would have done. In response to this, Seraphine, who had been quiet, said, It is still hard, but we work it out little by little in the garden as we work together. Noneho ikindi cyakabiri Imana yankoreye ni ukumpa umutima ukubabarira. Mbonye ukuntu baje bababaye baje kunsaba imbabazi narazibaha. Abo banyamuryango tubana harimo abatwiciye. Harimo abatwiciye harimo nabo biciye. Twese tubana hamwe n'icyo shyira hamwe gitwa ubuye. Ni kugeza ubu rero tukaba tuhuye hamwe tubakora tukumba ibitekerezo byacu tuhuza abana bacu bahura nabo ntibabatwiye. One working on forgiving the other, one working on forgiving himself. One learning to trust again, the other learning to earn trust again. They are doing the work together, tending the soil of the garden and their relationship and their community so that new life can blossom from what was once blood and tear-stained soil. It isn't easy. It isn't quick. But it is the slow and rewarding work of agape love. Rwanda is healing. Life-giving relationships are being cultivated. It's still hard, but they are working it out little by little in the garden as they work together. God desires health and flourishing in our relationships. And the lifeblood of what blossoms in those relationships tomorrow is the health of our soil today. While the situations may not be the same, there are things that have died or that are near death within us and between us or between Christians and neighbors that are staining the soil of our hearts, making it difficult for relationships to bloom as God intends for them to bloom. May we allow and invite God's love to seep into the soil of our hearts, saturate, saturating every inch of our lives healing the soil of our relationship so good can bloom. And may we, as a community of faith and followers of Jesus, commit to working it out little by little in the garden as we work together. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the example of Christians before us the lives that seem so similar to ours where we struggle in relationship with one another and to be people of love and that we do get a glimpse at the mail that helped them, that can help us as well, God, as we're reminded of what agape love is about, that we're reminded the way that Jesus loves and taught us to love. God, we pray that you would work in the soils of our hearts and our relationships, that we would receive the abundance of your love and grace, and that the outpouring of that would be love that blossoms in the lives and relationships of those around us. God, help us to identify those deficiencies in our life 
and turn to you, God, to be the one that supplies the growth and the health. We surrender to you. We trust our lives and our relationships to you and ask that you help us to be people of love. In your name we pray, amen.